The views and opinions of the EDGE podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government. Welcome to The Edge, the Education USA Global Exchange Podcast, broadcasting from the central nervous system of our global network, Washington, D.C. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Edge. Today, we'll be going to Cape Town, South Africa, the site of our Africa Regional Forum, May 4th to the 6th, 2023. And today, I'm so excited to introduce our two guests to you, our REAC for the Sub-Saharan Africa region, Diane Weiss-Young, and our excellent advisor in Cape Town, South Africa, Alice King. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much. Thanks, Noelle. Diane, these regional forums, a lot of people are familiar with our annual conference that we do in Washington, D.C., but they may or may not have ventured out to one of the regional forums that we do every year. And I would say one of the biggest questions that we frequently get in our D.C. offices, you know, if I come to the D.C. forum, what's the difference between the two? Do I really need to go to a regional forum? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, we invite everyone to think about coming to Cape Town in May of 2023, because coming to the continent will make a huge difference in your understanding about what the realities are like on the ground. And in addition, we're only able to bring a select few advisors to Washington, D.C. for the D.C. forum. But at the regional forum, we will have advisors from nearly every country visiting, uh, participating in the forum. And so that's a big, big difference. Absolutely, Diane. And I think it's been a little while since we've had a Sub-Saharan Africa regional forum, hasn't it? So the regional forums are really special. The last one was in Uganda in the fall of 2018. We like to get around the world every three years. We're a little behind because of COVID, but we are thrilled we're going to be in Cape Town. Certainly. I think we're all just really excited to get back out on the road again. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about the advisors who are going to be in Cape Town this time around. You will get to meet advisors from our top sending countries, from our developing markets, and maybe those smaller countries where you happen to get one application and realize you don't know too much about that country, but you can talk directly with an advisor to find out a lot more about what's going on there. Yes, it's definitely a unique opportunity for exactly that. Let me turn it over to Alice. Okay, your turn, Alice. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about your wonderful city and what we can expect when we're there? Wow. The first thing that I just want to say is when you come to Cape Town, you are having blessings because you are going to the mother city. Mother city because all the cities in Cape Town, we call Cape Town mother city. That's the largest center with uh, uh, different languages that we have. We've got cultural diversity that we have. I actually haven't been to South Africa yet, so that's very interesting. What sorts of languages? Uh, People right here speak different languages. I will mention just a few, which are just prominent, like Isitosa, vernacular, and then English and Afrikaans. Those are the three main languages here. If you know one of them, you are fine, and everybody at least can speak English. Okay, phew. I think we have our bases covered then. Yes, so it's very, very important to know that people, 
in student, in, including students, are well traveled. They do have those linguistic abilities. Oh, let me excite you once more. This is over and above what you are coming here to recruit. There is so much to do. This is your time to go and view the Table Mountain and see the entire city. Other people know the um, history of South Africa. When we talk about Robben Island, other people are going to do wine tasting. There's a lot that is there. I was just going to add, Alice, you get me so excited hearing that, um, thinking about coming back to Cape Town. I've had the pleasure of visiting numerous times, and it's an amazing city of diverse and interesting people, fantastic restaurants, natural beauty, favorite city in the world. I've traveled lots of places. And anytime I'm in Cape Town, I, I just feel a real sense of the very special nature of the city. And I love the penguins too. You end up now recruiting students and the penguins. <laughs> Excellent. Come to Cape Town, we've got students and penguins. <laughs> so there's a lot that to offer in, in the mother city. We are so excited to host our guests. Cape Town is excited. There's much that we're going to leave this place with. And Cape Town is also a pretty large sender of international students to the U.S. Tell us more about the student profile that you have. The students that we have, the kind of students that we have in Cape Town, we have uh, people who um, uh, we have done a lot of travel. It's a very diverse group. I wanted to also mention a little bit about the education systems for uh, East, Southern, and, and other parts of Africa. The medium of instruction varies from country to country. Most countries have English and other countries, I mean, they have English as a medium of instruction. Like in South Africa, I said, we have got 11 official languages. Now, the recruiters must know that when they move from Cape Town to Johannesburg, the languages now will start changing. English remains the same. Africans remains the same. But now they start speaking Tswana, they start speaking Sotho, Venda, and other languages. Less of Kosa, more of Zulu, there's a lot. But I know in other countries, Diane is going to add right now on French Creole and others speaking Portuguese. Over the years, the recruiters should know that there's been a continued increase in demand for access to higher opportunities, education opportunities in the region. And with the curriculum that we follow in South Africa is a, a def, definitely the curriculum that we always see when they apply to start in the United States. And uh, we are the city that has got universities that matter in the entire world. There is competition there. There are great universities that are here. So many students still choose to remain in South Africa but unfortunately, there is no capacity to accommodate everyone until somebody comes and convince them otherwise to say, there is another place that can compete with you. Just think about it. So when we have a, a, the USHEIs coming, they will just give them a, a, a preference to say, you can just look at it or something else they can look at. And how about graduate students? We uh, have a lot of uh, uh, graduate students that are looking forward, wanting to travel. So it is important for them to come with the recruitment and enrollment strategies to convince them, to tell them so that they can choose 
to go and study in the United States. And messages like that are precisely what we want to be sharing with the U.S. higher education community here. Alice, are there any other challenges that higher education institutions, or as we like to call them, HEIs, should be aware of while they're recruiting students from this region? So another thing that has always been our challenge is when they talk about money, the thing that goes studying in the United States means there is no financial assistance. If the US HEIs can also touch on that to say that is something that can be done. Only 6% of our students are able to access uh, higher education on their own. The rest will always need financial assistance. So it's very, very important that when you come and expect them, all of them are the grades they still competition about grades. We have to convince them that is no longer grades alone. There's also community service that is needed. So we are doing our part to convince, but we can't wait for the U.S. colleges to come down here. Shifting gears only very slightly here. What types of fields are your students interested in? Certainly, there are some that uh, you, you mentioned that their grades are excellent. Where, where do they excel most? We see that uh, the trend, the new trend that is amazing. We see young ladies, female students targeting engineering, which, wow, the STEM programs. Now we see a lot of lot students that are going STEM. I'm seeing that with the sample that we have with the, um, the cohort. Because I do have a lot of students now who want to do what was uh, normally done by males before. So we have got those. Then business is another one that is never going down. So we look at the business and everybody is talking with finance. And that's why a lot of students um, of my group, group that I'm working with, they are looking at doing accounting. They're thinking money. Ah, this is what we're talking about. All right, young ladies, go do this. So that's what we have. So there's a combination of, of many things, but engineering. And now all of a sudden, I'm having young ladies as well who are targeting aeronautical. They want to be the flight. They want to do the, 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 be the captains and fly planes, which is a new thing for us and with what we have. And then they said, where can we go? I recently have a student who decided to go study in the United States because they saw that there were two new captains that were flying planes around. They said, oh, now we can go into, we can go study in the United States and come back with that qualification and experience. So they are all over the place, but engineering business, now we have with graduate programs, we have a couple of students who have gone to law school and medical school. So we're kind of having some balance, but in STEM programs are kind of leading, followed by the business studies. Thank you. And what does the job market look like? Presumably the local job market drives these interests. Are there new sectors that are opening up in South Africa, Cape Town specifically? Are there, are there things that you see on the horizon? In Cape Town, specifically South Africa now, we can say more than 50% of graduates are still struggling to have, you know, we've got the high unemployment rate. That's why now they look at study uh, and even study in the United States as an option because 
they are thinking we've, we've graduated and then what else is happening? So we do have uh, the, most of them are in business. Business is leading in South Africa uh, rather than now engineering because now we do have a brand new set of sector that has taken over, which is technical and vocational education and training. And where does community college fit into all of that? I wouldn't say it is uh, equivalent to community college. It's different. It has got artisanship where people have to go train. They finish 18 months doing theory uh, in either, like I say, engineering, others do tourism, um, hospitality and all that. That's another one that is taking more students even outside the country where they go, go and get trained and come back and start their own businesses. But there's this trend of new students who say, okay, we have graduated, what is happening now? We are trying to say to our students, even if you have graduated, don't wait for the government to employ you. We're talking a lot about entrepreneurial skills for them to start their own business and, 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 and start their own thing so that they can just learn and, and take others. Because we even talk about job creation, young people employing others of their own uh, age and all that. So that is a new trend, which was not like that in South Africa before. Everybody would start and wait for the government to employ, but we're seeing a new trend, young people taking over. There is a lot of youth empowerment programs that we take them as partners. That's why we hope when our USAGIs come to South Africa, they can meet some of the partners so that we can see how best they can work together to make study in the United States possible for everyone. So there's a lot that's happening, but business, business, people are thinking how to make things or make ends meet by starting their own businesses. So entrepreneurial mind is there because now young people can see that they can do it and we're pushing them that side to say, don't be dependent use the skills that we have, get started without it. That's why now we have after STEM programs and what business following because everyone wants to start their own business. That's what is happening. It sounds like schools that offer interdisciplinary programs and or dual degrees would serve these students very well where they could have their main subject, but also have a bit of a business acumen as well by the time they graduate or if schools are associated with small business incubators or in development zones in certain states in the United States. Um, sounds like those would be targets for these students to be doing additional research and to consider getting a degree from as well. So why don't we take a brief pause right here and we'll talk more about partnership after we come back from the break. Hi, this is Julie Baer from the Open Doors team at the Institute of International Education. Do you need data or information on international students to help you develop recruitment plans or guide your international education strategy? The Open Doors data is here to help you. We recently released the latest information about international student enrollment, along with insights about U.S. study abroad and the global landscape of student mobility. And all of this information can be found on our website at opendoorsdata.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.org. The Open Doors website has comprehensive resources and the most up-to-date information about the number of international students in the United States, where students come from, what fields they major in, and how they fund their studies. You can access this information through downloadable data tables, interactive visualizations, infographics, and the recording of this year's annual data release, where expert speakers provided an overview of the key findings from the most recent data. In addition to the latest facts and figures, opendoorsdata.org also has information going back 20 years to help you understand how these trends have changed over time. We hope that the Open Doors data will be your go-to resource as you plan for the future of international student mobility. If you are interested in receiving updates about the Open Doors data releases, sign up on our website and please reach out to us at opendoors at iie.org if you ever have any questions. Okay, we're back. Before the break, you mentioned local partners and that you're hoping that uh, these higher ed reps, when they come to this conference, will have an opportunity to mix and mingle with them. Can you tell us more about these local partners? I think maybe some of our audience members would like to get a bit of a preview of some of the local partners that you're talking about. uh, If you are not aware, South Africa is divided into two. There is Department of Basic Education and Training. That means everything else until grade 12. So they are catering for that group. Then there will be the post-secondary. Post-secondary and even the uh, technical and vocational education and training I spoke about falls under the Department of Higher Education and Training. So those are the partners that are looking forward because they say, wow, We have tried elsewhere, they've worked with other countries, but we haven't invested much in working with the US. As a result of this year, Noel, I'm just so excited because it's the first year that we're given an opportunity by the Department of Education in another province to train 15 education department officials to do exactly what we're doing. So it means in our absence, they go around to schools when they meet with big meetings they have, they talk about study in the United States. We had one week long training. Guess who was there? When we're training them, we brought US higher education institutions to talk to them directly. We look forward to having our higher ed reps open to these partnership opportunities as well and would look to you to uh, maybe provide any tips or insights about how they could prepare. So for the USHEIs, it's very, very important that they can know that our countries, not just South Africa, in Africa, they struggle with the capacity and the resources to address the growing needs that we have in our countries and even the demands for quality tertiary education. So we need them to come prepared and know that our students are open-minded. They are well-traveled. They are ready to grab opportunities. If they can even talk even the standardized testing to tell them more about why do they have to write any test in English when they can speak English to say why there is that importance for that. And it is also important to be able to differentiate between the different uh, 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 systems or types of universities. Not much is known 
about community colleges in South Africa. We actually have a, a sector called community education and training, but it's not at all closer to community education in our community education in America. So they need to know about that. And also the perception that everyone wants to go to the Ivy League schools because they don't know that there are so many other universities. I'm happy that now we'll have a lot, a wide a variety of schools coming to South Africa so that South Africans don't think that only universities there in, in the US is only the Ivy League schools. They need to know their other liberal arts and sciences. What are they? So if they can come and try to unpack for them, we know after this forum, a lot of South Africans will know. So I just wanted to say if they can come with some information to ensure that South Africans look at the study in the U.S. in a different way. And where do we fall on the financial aid piece? So I think the U.S. colleges recruiting in Africa in general should be prepared to offer scholarships as part of their recruitment plan and realize that there is no immediate financial return. It's going to take time. For instance, I think it would be great for them to offer generous funding to fewer students rather than opening it to so many students and that they end up not even leaving South Africa. Let's say now somebody has got some funding instead of wanting to give to 50 students, maybe we can give to less so that the, the, the possibility of traveling to study in the United States is real. Because when you have got a lot of funding to give to so many people, spreading it out, it ends up defeating the very, very same purpose of helping those who are high income and I mean high, high achieving and low income. So we're talking about high achieving and low income could be assisted with that funding that is more generous than having the funding that they have and spread it out to many and everybody's excited and they end up not going. Mm -hmm. You make a very good point there, Alice. Let me also share with you, Noel and Diane. We have paying parents, parents who are able to be. South Africa is diverse. There are parents who say, no, the reason why I'm here to listen to you, Alice, I'm not here to say pay for me. I need you to help me to navigate this, uh, the study in the US, how to, to apply, how to select schools, but I'm not here to say pay for me. I'm ready to pay. We've got those parents, South Africa is having those parents, paying parents. So when the recruiters come to South Africa, they mustn't think that they are coming to a, a country where everybody is here to say, give me, give me. We are having parents who are ready to do this. As long as you can convince them that the institutions they go to will support everything, including the curricular practical training, even also the optional practical training when they are done, and then they come back, they can pay. I've got a lot of those parents in my, in my midst that promise to say, no, 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 don't think that I'm here to beg anything. I just need direction. So we need our recruiters to come and just take that lot. We love them. Paying parents is our ticket. Because remember, we are looking at economy. 
not just for South Africa, for Africa, we're looking for economy, even for the US. So we are hoping that recruiting is not only to collect everyone who doesn't have money to pay. Recruitment must cover everybody. Those who can pay at all, those who can pay a little, and those who can pay for everything. So we have all here. So that's why when we, 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 we invite them to say, come to a country that have it all, whatever you need, you have it here. So we're happy about that. Thank you, Alice. Uh, you mentioned a lot of really important things that I want to go back and unpack a bit. And I also want to give you a chance to say a few things, Diane, as well. But I want to kind of pull the string about the parent piece, because parents are so important in these decisions for their students. Um, you said convincing the parents with you know practical training and other things. But you also mentioned before that helping them understand the tapestry of higher education opportunities in the U.S. that community college doesn't mean community college the way we think it does, which I think was really important. Thank you for sharing that. I had no idea. I think that's really important for people to hear, but also um, sort of demystifying the opportunities beyond the Ivy Leagues. So coming back to this parent idea, what are those conversations like with parents? I mean, we're going to have a student fair. Presumably there'll be some parents in the room too. You know, you said convincing them. Is it hard to talk with them about a culinary school or a liberal arts school or like a state school somewhere in the Midwest? How, how do institutions market themselves when perhaps their name is not recognized within South Africa? Parents are really interested in the opportunities the U.S. can offer. Some of them who, who are um, of some means have studied outside of their home countries themselves. And so they're really looking for that opportunity for their own children. Some of them may not have studied in, in the U.S. And so that's where we all have a little work to do. But that's that's not hard to convince. The specific majors, the specific fields of study, coupled with the high quality of education and laboratories make a huge difference and really are impressive to, to students in our region. And Noel, I need to say this. I know you didn't ask it. This child who couldn't even talk before he went to study in the United States, couldn't say a word. But six months down the line, he emailed me and said, when you do another presentation, I will be back and I will co-present with you. I'm like, oh, presenting with me, you. Then if, if he comes home for holiday, that is our presenter. So that is our marketing skill to say, start in the United States, also build confidence. Start in the United States, make you to know other cultures. It makes, our it makes our students to be broad-minded, to see things differently rather than being narrow-minded. We have testimonies of that from what we're having. Even the parents, they, take that, they don't take that lightly because they see this is happening. In fact, as we train their kids, they see that the students change before they even leave South Africa. Let alone when they go and ex be exposed to other cultures where they learn a lot. Because we tell them this is not about classroom setting. Start in the United States is beyond classroom setting. Your mindset will change. Everything becomes something different. So when they come back, look, look at this. One child was at, here in one of the high schools, went to a community college in California. And that's a, that's a smart kid, an A student. 
And the parent will have, no, I don't want my child to community college because they are thinking the community colleges in the US are just like our community education and training. All of a sudden, the child was on 4.0 GPA as, and was on Dean's list, then got full funding to go and study in New York. Now this parent, that's a word of mouth because the excited parents start talking about the child that is in the US. That is how now when you convince one parent, you actually change the mindset of the entire village. That's what is happening. Excellent point, Alice. Excellent point. And we hear stories similar to that all over the world about just getting that one child to go. And then the impact of the word of the mouth is the best marketing an institution can ever hope for when they go back to their community and they're successful. Diane, I want to give you a chance to jump in here. Thank you. Thanks, Alice. Um, Yes, just to add on to what Alice was saying, one of the things I'm hearing consistently from higher education representatives in the U.S. is that they are seeing more and more applications from students in Africa than ever before. Of course, we're thrilled about this. But we also know that for higher education folks, this means that they're going to have more questions. How do I interpret this transcript? How do I evaluate a transcript um, that might be initially in French? Um, Certainly, schools can, can request the translation. But our advisors know what the educational systems in their countries are all about. They know the ins and outs, the subtleties, the kinds of things that you all as education recruiters, you need to know to be able to evaluate a student's application. So that's one of the real advantages of having everyone in the same place at the same time. And likewise, we will learn from you. We hope that many of you who are listening today will present sessions for us. You may want to join an Education USA advisor you've worked with in the past to talk about a particular topic. We're super excited to all learn from each other because clearly it's one of the real hallmarks of U.S. higher education that we're always learning and we're certainly learning in this field as well. Thanks, Diane. Is there anything else that you want to add One thing that's really valuable about coming to a regional forum is that you will see advisors from smaller countries that you are unlikely to visit. Now, we would like you to visit every country in the region, but we are realistic and we know that you won't visit some of our smaller countries. But every country in the region has outstanding students that would be a huge benefit to your campus and diversify your own campuses even further. And so that's one of the real advantages of getting to know advisors, particularly those from our smaller countries. So um, that's that's one thing that I that I would add and think is important. The other thing I wanted to mention was that we look forward at the end of the regional forum to having a fair tour throughout the rest of sub-Saharan Africa. It will be a very busy schedule. So make sure you've got your traveling pants on and you're ready for a really busy week. But we are working on the details, but we expect to visit top sending countries so that you can meet outstanding students outside of South Africa and really make the trip worth your while in terms of your return on investment. If you could sum up for people who are interested in participating, how they could package it for their leadership to articulate the overall value of participating in this regional forum, how would you sum it up for them? One of the things that's been well documented in 
literature and various um, different sources uh, in our field is that Africa has the largest growing population of traditional college-age students in the world. And so I would encourage each and every higher education institution If you haven't already started recruiting in the region, now is the time because you want your school to be known now. You want your school to be a name that both students and parents recognize. And and that comes from more than just one trip. I always advise that higher education institutions should develop a three-year strategy before they'll start to see return on investment. Let the regional forum in Cape Town be your start if that's where you are. And from there, you can become known. I can think of schools that certainly would not fit in the Ivy League category and and some might even say are sort of no-name institutions, but they made a name for themselves on the continent because they are committed to students. They've worked well with students and their families, and we're, we're thrilled to have those partners among us. So for those of you listening who are longtime friends of Education USA Africa, we also welcome you because we have a lot of new advisors that we want you to meet, get to know. Some things have changed in our various countries due to COVID, political changes. One thing that Alice mentioned earlier that I think is so critical to realize is that as the population in Africa grows, the capacity in most of our countries is not growing in terms of the number of seats in universities. And so that means your institutions have a lot to offer. There are highly qualified students that just cannot get seats to attend the universities in their home country. That's a real tragedy for the future. Those students, they need the opportunities that the United States can offer, both at the undergraduate and the graduate level. And that's another trend we're seeing, particularly in West Africa. The graduate student numbers are growing by leaps and bounds. And that that's something for all of you who are, are thinking, oh, but I'm a graduate school. Please come. We really want to see representatives who are promoting their grad programs as well. I really like what you said there, Diane, about the long game and seeing recruitment in sub-Saharan Africa as truly an investment in trusting relationships into the future. We always call ourselves Africa United. You may come to Cape Town, but you're also going to Uganda. We are going to uh, Nigeria. You are going to Malawi. While we are going to Cape Town, you are going to Kenya. You are going to Ethiopia. We are so united that we know each other like sisters and brothers. We speak the same language. We know each other's challenges. That's why we equip each other. We're looking forward to sharing whatever we know and learning from you as you come. Again, so well said, ladies. Unfortunately, we've hit that time in our program, dear audience, where we've got to bring this to a close, although I'm sure Diane and Alice could give us all sorts of insights and tips to help prepare you for the Sub-Saharan Africa Regional Forum this May 4th to the 6th, 2023. However, I guess you'll just have to come to Cape Town (laughs) to hear the rest of the story. So as we close out very quickly, final thoughts? I'll finish by adding some open doors statistics, not down to the exact number, but just to tell you that with the 2022 numbers, the uh, number of sub-Saharan African students in the U.S. is now above the pre-COVID number. And so we had a 6.3% decline uh, last year, which was the smallest percentage in, in the world. 
but this year our increase was over 8%. And so we are well over our pre-COVID numbers and there are over 42,000 students from Sub-Saharan Africa studying in the U.S., this number can be much higher, much, much higher with all of us working together. As I mentioned earlier, I really think it takes three years to see a return on investment. So come back from Cape Town and think about what you want those next steps to be for your institution. Alice, I think you have the last word then. I think I'm just being moved by a statement by the former Secretary Clinton in 2012, which says Africa is the continent that is the land of opportunity. So when you come to Africa, come to an opportunity island, come prepared. As much as you are bringing something to us, you will leave this space knowing something from the opportunity island. And another one that I wanted to finish with, uh, Noel and Diane is the one that came from African Union in 2015 that says, Africa is on the move. A new Africa is emerging. So you'll find us moving towards you. We'll meet halfway. You won't find us sitting on the starting line. You'll meet us running towards you. So come to us, prepare that you'll meet us halfway. Thank you so much. I, I don't know what to say to that. I can't say anything more powerful than what you ladies just articulated. I agree wholeheartedly, Alice. So come to Cape Town, South Africa, and we'll see you at the Africa Regional Forum this May. Thank you. The views and opinions of the EDGE podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government.